The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Jeff Siegel. He is the managing editor of several newsletters, Wealth Daily, Energy and Capital, and Liberty Briefing. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with your background a little bit uh, and how you got to become uh, editor of these newsletters and what you were doing before that. Well, I actually got into the uh, financial publishing business back in around 93. Um, I worked for Agora uh, Incorporated, which is pretty much the largest newsletter, financial newsletter uh, company out there. Um, got my feet wet there, did some uh, editorial and some copywriting, and probably around the end of the end of the decade, I just kind of got the itch to travel. So I essentially just kind of packed my bags and left for about six years and just traveled across the world and just try to get my own education beyond college and looking for you know new trends and things that would excite me. And uh, came back around 2005, and um, a buddy of mine who I used to work with at Agora had launched his own service, um, his own publishing company, and, and hired me on. And uh, and I just jumped right in, got right back into editorial. And uh, really, my my focus over those years had become energy and and specifically alternative energy. Um, and that's pretty much where I started when I got back into it. And I pretty much do everything, you know, alternative energy. I do a lot of uh, uh, stuff on um, alternative investments, um, a lot of stuff on uh, libertarian thought uh, about um, things from environmentalism to social issues. Um, I just like to write a lot (laughs) and let people listen to what I have to say, I suppose. Great. Let's talk about energy a little bit. We've had a period of uh, pretty sharply falling oil prices, uh, what, what is causing oil prices to fall uh, as much as they have, and, and do you think that's going to continue? Well, the oil is an interesting thing because I think sometimes people, uh, especially Americans, don't realize that or don't remember that it's a, it's a global market. Um, so a lot of times we'll, we'll hear or read in the news, well, there's all these fracking operations going on in the United States. We have this you know, flood of oil coming into the market, um, and that's affecting the price. Um, to some extent, extent that's true, but we're still, it's like I said, it's still a global market. So anytime you have any disruption anywhere else in the world, um, it'll affect the, the prices. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I would have expected oil to be a little higher right now based on, you know, the continued um, the problems in, in the Middle East. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky market to figure out what exactly is happening. It's so heavily manipulated, too, um, when you think about uh, you know, oh, well, reserves might be high right now, but uh, the next week something else is going to happen and that's going to throw off our travel plans, you know, the travel season is going to be off. You know, quite frankly, no one can really pinpoint the the real reason oil prices are up or down, unless, of course, you have some kind of geopolitical uh, disruption. And really, I, you know, the long term, I, I'm, I'm bullish. I, you know, I, oils, oils I, I don't see oil go below $80 ever again. Uh, and I think the norm 
go, going forward, let's say 2015, I mean, uh, over 110 should be the norm next year. And that's assuming things just maintain the way they're now. I mean, if things really blow up in the Middle East, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, the argument I've been hearing lately is that because of the sanctions uh, with Russia and Europe, that there's going to be a, more of an economic slowdown um, and therefore less demand for oil on both the side of Russia and Europe. Uh, that these sanctions are going to hit both sides, and therefore less demand for oil. That's one of the reasons why it's been falling. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I don't know if I buy it for Europe, though. I mean, I could see how Russia would be losing out, but I think uh, I think folks um, don't really they underestimate um, what Europe has going on right now as far as uh, supplies to take it through the winter, and also um, a lot of Western European nations, um, you know, have, are already well on their way to displacing a lot of the gas that they have been using. Um, it, it may be tough, but I don't think it's going to be such a disruption that's going to, it's really going to affect um, the economies of, of, of those regions. Now, Russia, of course, I mean, you're talking about, you know, what's going to happen uh, to, to their supplies. I mean, it's hard to say, too, because China's there to pick up anything that they need. I mean, it's a, you know, China and Russia are besties now. I mean, those guys, you know, They'll, do, they'll trade all day long. So uh, I, I would not um, put too much weight in, you know, what could happen this winter when, when, when supplies uh, get displaced. So basically you're saying it's a good time to get into energy-related investments now because the prices are down and you think they're going to go back up from 90 or so up to well over 100. So what would be some of your favorite ways of playing that both in, in stocks and maybe exchange-traded funds? Or what, what are some mm-hmm. vehicles you would uh, use to take advantage of the current weakness? Well, for for oil, um, you know, I, I I tend to look at the um, I tend to look at the the um, the domestic plays. Um, it's just a little bit of a hedge against what's going going on outside of the United States. Um, really, any kind of oil or double oil ETF is good. Um, I'm not. You know, with oil, it's kind of like I've always, I've always had, I've always had skin in the game, but I don't, I don't really jump in and out all the time. I just let it sit there because, like I said, I think overall oil's is is going to head up. And I'm a big alternative energy guy too. I mean, that's, I, you know, I have probably a lot more skin in the alternative energy game than I do uh, anywhere uh, else because that's we'll, where I we'll get to alternative oil. energy next. But I just wanted okay. to touch on oil. So you're talking about like the uh, funds that own physical oil or. Drillers or uh, exploration production companies, the integrated internationals. What are some of the the ways you would play oil? It would be it would be anyway. They're all interconnected. Um, I think you have less. Um, well, there could be less pressure when you're talking about physical oil, but everything is so interrelated, so it doesn't matter. Even if you're talking about pipelines or or rail or, or you know companies that provide uh, you know steel or whatever they need for for drilling in 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 in, uh, in the United States I can tell you on the pipeline angle um there's you know there's a lot of talk right now with the uh, rail cars moving with all the, all the oil from from the Midwest from the Dakotas yeah. and uh you're going to see more uh, there's a company I'm trying to get, I think it's called Greenbrier that makes these um these tanker, these tankers that are, are they're dual hull tankers as opposed to the single hull that are used now, mm-hmm. and I suspect there's going to be at least on the state level um, some new mandates that are are going to require that those trains moving have to be double hull. Yeah. Um, and Greenbrier's I think like one of two companies that actually makes these, mm-hmm. um, particularly out in uh, New York, like upstate New York area. Uh, the train, the rail traffic that's moving that oil um, from all those fracking locations, uh, that's tr- that's more than tripled over the last year. And a lot of these are on old rails, old tracks, 
old trains. That's why you're seeing so many of these, you know, rail explosions and mm-hmm. issues. And the, the issue, you have a lot of stuff going in upstate New York where there's a, a very heavy environmental burden up there with all the lakes. Um, you know, Adirondacks is just a huge part of New York, and New York has a, has a lot invested in the Adirondack region. Um, so, uh, you know, an interesting way that I'm looking to play that right now is is investing in the companies that are making the, the better rail cars. The rail Green cars, Greenbrier. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very good. Um, as far as domestic plays, uh, in addition to Greenbrier, what would be some other ways uh, some of the equipment suppliers to the fracking or the developer? I mean, just give me a name or two of companies that would, would benefit from what you see happening there. Um, let's see. What am I? Um, Lynn Energy is coming back. I always liked Lynn Energy. It was a, it's a domestic um, uh, a domestic producer, um, Halcyon Resources is another one, um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, most of these, most of the um, plays I get in the oil space are from Keith Cole, who I, I do analysis for. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really the oil and gas guy over here, and uh, yeah, he's got such a great track record. <laughs> pretty much any time he tells me to look at something, I look at it. So I'm basically rattling off names that he's he's pretty bullish on, and Halcyon is, is definitely one of them. Yeah. What is your expectation of what's going to happen with the Keystone Pipeline? Uh, I don't think anything's going to happen to it until after the next uh, presidential election. Um, after the next presidential election, or the, yeah, the the next president, because it's a state department. It's going to be down to a state department issue, and Kerry has no interest. I mean, he said even before he became uh, uh, Secretary of State that he has no interest in that pipeline. Um, so you're talking about beyond 2016. You're talking yeah. about that. yeah. Wow. I think it'll happen. But I, I don't think it's going to happen because it's too, it's it's too much of a political hassle. Even after the midterms, um, you know, the, the Democrats are gearing up for the next presidential election, and they don't want to rock the boat. Um, and so, so, what is they, the impact of that being delayed for another two years or so? Uh, you know, it's I, I think it's that's overplayed too. People worrying about it's going to affect you know how much oil we have and if it's if the Canadians are going to bail and go somewhere else. I mean, like, we have so many pipelines in construction right now. It's one pipeline. You know, and it's not it's, it's the amount of oil that's coming down there. I mean, it's significant, I suppose, but the amount of oil that we're pumping out right now all across the country, I mean, it's it's more of a political thing at this point than anything else. Uh-huh. Would would you play some of the Canadian oil producers in the the tar sands uh of Alberta, that kind of area? Um m- Personally, for me, I wouldn't. I don't really follow tar sands. I'm not really a fan of tar sands. I think it's a really ineffective way to to produce oil. Um, and I think that the you know, I, I, it's a, sometimes people call me a libertarian tree hugger because I have, I'm a very free market guy, but I also believe in kind of like doing the right thing. And um, I just don't think tar sands is particularly necessary. Uh, and I, I just I think it's 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 more burdensome than it is uh, profitable. Um, particularly with all the fracking going on now. And I don't know if you've been reading about the refracking, you know, going to old fracking wells that you can, this technology called refracking where you go through and, you, and you're able to, you know, exp, you know, ex, uh, pull out more oil when they thought they couldn't pull out any more oil. I mean, the technology is, is, is developing so rapidly. I think that any, any time or money you put into tar sands is, is, is just kind of, uh, it's, it's a bit of a waste, both um, economically and environmentally. Going back to the Middle East briefly, um, what happens if ISIS starts taking more oil fields and overruns uh, the Kurds, for example, or goes into southern Iraq um, and, and threatens the oil fields there? Do you see a, a big spike in oil prices as a result of that? I think it depends on how big it is. I definitely see that's what I was talking about before about the geopolitical events. Um, I think that, that that's you know 
if ISIS gets gets more control and, and as you said, you know, get, gets into these areas of oil production and and kind of overtakes them, um, yeah, it's it's definitely going to have an effect. Will it spike? You know, thirty, forty dollars. I I I, it, I don't know. I guess it, it depends on the extent of the of ISIS and, and their advances. Um, but I, I can't reiterate this enough. You know, oil is a global market, and we have to get out of this mindset that oh, it's okay. We have oil here in the United States. We'll be safe. Um, well, yeah, we'll be safe. I guess you know, from a regional standpoint, but um, from an economic standpoint, you're not. It's a global market. It's going to affect you. Um, let's say ISIS gains control of you know 10 percent of of, the, of uh, oil production in, in those regions that goes up to uh, you know in, in, into Europe doesn't even affect the United States. You know, you you could probably see a ten, twelve dollar spike in oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break and we're going to talk about alternative energy when we come back. My um, guest this half hour is Jeff Siegel. He's the managing editor at Wealth Daily Energy and Capital and Liberty Briefing. Uh, you can find out more about him at uh, a website which is energyandcapital.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jeff Siegel. He's the managing editor at the newsletters Wealth Daily, Energy and Capital, and Liberty Briefing. And you can find out more about him at the website, energyandcapital.com. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thank you. Now I want to talk about the alternative energy space. Before we get to some of the specifics, just give us kind of an overall view. I mean, the view has been that these could not survive without government subsidies, but they're getting more efficient. Is, is that still necessary for the most part? Uh, government subsidies are going to be necessary for a long time to make them economically viable? In the current climate, yes. Um, one thing we have to realize is that in the world of energy, there's, there's no such thing as a free market, um, whether it's solar, wind, oil, 
gas, coal, nuclear, whatever, um, there's some kind of subsidy in place, whether it's, you know, a 50-year-old subsidy or a 10-year-old subsidy. The government supports uh, all energy production, power production. Um, that being the case, yes, uh, solar, wind, geothermal, you're talking about any kind of um, renewable energy uh, that's, that's in place today um, still relies heavily on subsidies. And we're talking about direct subsidies. I'm not talking about indirect subsidies. I'm talking about straight subsidies to the producers, to the technology developers. Um, that is changing in a, a, a bit, we're, especially in the solar space where we see uh, solar being at grid parity, meaning it's competitive with conventional forms of power production um, by the end of the decade. Um, because, because the subsidies are being cut back. For example, the investment tax credit for solar is supposed to expire in two years. Is that correct? Yeah, 2016, that will, that will be gone, yes. And do you think and, it'll be renewed, or, or will solar be able to handle it on its own without that? Uh, you know, I think, well, I, I think solar could handle it on itself, on its own. I don't think, I think in another two years, um, I, it, it, it would not be necessary. Um, that being said, I... I I, I don't think it's going to happen on the federal level. I, I, think, I think the days of subsidies, big subsidies, are over on the federal level. What's in place now is pretty much it. Um, on the state level, however, that could change. Um, we're seeing more and more states actually ponying up more in the way of subsidies because they know they're losing the, the federal subsidies. Um, I'm personally not a huge fan of subsidies. I'd rather see uh, good incentives, market incentive-based solutions that tend to work better. Um, but... For the sake of investing, I will tell you that, yes, the, the days of the big subsidies for, for, these, for solar, wind, and geothermal, um, they are coming to an end. Um, so you really, at this point as an investor, we're looking to see right now what is economically viable without subsidies in the next two years. What's so let's, let's talk it? about solar first. Okay. Uh, do you like the manufacturers or the uh, people who install the solar? What would be the way you would play uh, solar energy? Well, I can tell you right now, the solar manufacturers have been kind of tricky for a while because a lot of them are China-based. Um, we've had a couple of great years with the manufacturers. Um, we've, we've made quite a bit on those because I think, you know, after the market tanked, I mean, those, those solar stocks just got crushed and they couldn't go any lower. Um, so we picked up a bunch of the Chinese players, um, some U.S. players, SunPower, First Solar, for instance. Those have done very well over the last couple of years. Um, and I, I suspect they'll continue to do well, but uh, I, I think the, the, the big money is, is gone at this point. And now it's just... You know, these are these are bigger companies. They'll continue to do well, but you know, don't expect you know the double-digit gains year after year. So, would um, you like the installers, companies. if not the manufacturers? How would you play solar then? I like installers and I like financiers. Um, I like. I'm still a big fan of Solar City. Solar City's gotten hit recently, last couple of days, um, but I still maintain Solar City is a, is a great way to play the uh, growth in the U.S. These are this is a company that not only installs the the systems, but they finance them, and that's the big thing. Coming up with the money so people can go solar. Um, there's a company called Hand and Armstrong, which is essentially a clean energy REIT. It's the only one in existence, and this company finances uh, clean energy solutions, and they have a lot of deals with the government to put solar on rooftops. Um, um, they also do some uh, small wind and, and uh, energy efficiency mechanisms, um, and they finance these things, and they, they get great they get great deals on these great yields on these things. Um, and yeah, Hand and Armstrong is actually a nice one because it, it gives you uh, I think it's about a seven percent dividend right now, which is really nice. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm big on the installers, big on the uh, the financiers, um, and even like the and anything that's that's smaller, even more localized. You know, if we see um, 
in the next year or two, if the SEC finally gets its act together and gets these new rules in place for crowdfunding, um, there's a lot of renewable energy crowdfunding uh, mechanisms that are in place right now in Europe and in Canada that work really, really well. And the returns are, are pretty solid. They're nice. I mean, they're not gangbusters, but I can, you know, in, in England, I can, I can get a 5% deal on a, on a solar, a community solar building, you know, or in Canada, there's a company called SolarShare. They're, they're issuing solar bonds, and I think, I think those also pay 5%. Um, so I'm looking for those little niches, more localized things, more um, installation stuff, uh, some tech stuff, tech angles maybe, and again, the, the financing. I think that's the, that's the big play is the financing. Uh-huh. And then some other alternative energy. How about wind? Uh, what is, is wind going to be a major source of power, and how would you play that? Wind, wind will be, it actually continues to be, um, outside of the United States, I think about 3% of our power in the United States comes from wind, which isn't a huge amount. Um, but overseas, particularly in the UK, um, Portugal, um, Germany, we're seeing an enormous amount of wind, a lot of offshore wind. Um, the, the, the thing with wind is you're not going to get a lot of uh, good pure play wind companies. Um, and if you do find some, they're very, very risky. Um, if you wanted to play the wind angle, I stick with GE. Uh, Siemens is a, is a, is a major player, um, Vestas, which, which I think you can only buy on the pink sheets in the U.S. Um, those are the, those are the big players. And it's, wind is, is a tough one to play because outside of, you don't have the same financing issue as you do with solar. I mean, you can't get into a big, you know, $300 million financing deal if you're a retail investor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another area is, is uh, electric cars, uh, it's it, 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 it certainly had some momentum here, uh, but has that got a big future to have electric cars? Oh, yeah. Electric cars are, are the future. They're here. They're not going to take over internal combustion, um, but look at electric cars as we look at hybrid, regular hybrid vehicles today. Where the electric cars are today is where hybrid vehicles were, let's say, around nine, you know, 1999-2000. Very, very small segment, but they've grown rapidly. Um, electric vehicles, the technology is growing so rapidly that by the end of the year, by the end of the decade, I mean, you're going to see electric vehicles available on the market um, that will give you a 200-mile range for $35,000. Now, that may seem like a bit much, you know, compared to, say, a $25,000 car today, but don't forget, things will be a little more expensive by 2020. Gas will be more expensive by 2020, um, and the, the truth is something like more than 70% of the, the, drive, the commuting population in the United States doesn't even commute more than 40 miles per day. So if you have a vehicle that gives you 200 miles all-electric range, it's going to cost you $35,000. I mean, it's, it's actually a, a bit of a no-brainer. And, and, and then you won't have gas. You won't have to pay for gas that way. Well, exactly, and your cost per kilowatt hour is going to be significantly less um, than gasoline. Plus, I mean, if you if you have a solar system on your uh, you know, on your roof, I mean, it's, it, you, you can take this even further. It, the, I've I've gone I've seen a lot of the electric vehicles in production in the past. Um, some of the ones that are coming up in the next couple of years. The the days of electric cars being kind of these tiny little golf cart things are so over. Um, and I'm sure you've seen the Tesla Model S and the Model yeah. X, um, and there even the the electric vehicles coming out of um, Nissan, the Leaf. I mean, it's nothing flashy, but it's a legitimately decent car. It's a highway capable car. And, and Tesla's vehicle- had an enormous rise as a stock. Uh, do you still think it's uh, is it hype or is it is it real and this is something people should get into? I don't get. Listen, I'm the biggest supporter of Tesla. You'll find. <laughs> I was writing about that company before it even went public, and 
I bailed, you know, I sold my shares back when it went across a hundred dollars a share thinking, wow. well, I got it at a great price. That thing is over $300 a share. Listen, I don't get it. I, even Elon Musk says it's a bit high. Uh, I think a lot of the, 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 the valuation is based on, you know, hopes and dreams of what's going to happen in the future. I have, I have so much faith in Elon Musk and Tesla. I have no doubt they're going to uh, they're accomplish everything they set out to accomplish. But there's no way I would buy that stock right now. I see. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have a limited amount of time. I do want to get a little bit on your uh, views on uh, the newsletter you have called Liberty Briefing, kind of your libertarian views. Um, are things getting better or worse as far as liberty? I mean, there's a lot of pushback against uh, Obamacare and various other regulations. Are, are things in general getting better or worse on the kind of liberty amount in, in the United States? I think they're getting worse. Um, it seems like there's a, a lot of folks now really chiming in and, and railing against what's happening, um, but I think it's getting worse. I, I look at what's going on right now as far as, you know, our, our privacy, you know, the, the, the lack of privacy we now have as, as U.S. citizens, the lack of mobility we have, um, the, the problem with, you know, if, if I drive down to Arizona um, to visit a friend who, who's he's Latino, he's a Mexican guy, he's born in the United States, he's been stopped two times in Arizona, you know, and asked for his papers. You know, this is not Nazi Germany. You don't ask for somebody's papers. He did nothing wrong except for the fact that he's brown. So they wanted to know if he was, you know, they suspected him of being an illegal. So I'm with him in the car thinking, wait a minute, what the hell's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. It's little things like that that drive me insane, you know? It makes no sense to me that people don't, aren't up in arms about that. And then we're going over here to fight another war. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You know, and, and, and Obama comes out and he says, well, I don't need authorization. If you're going to sit there and, and you're going to declare war, you do need authorization. Well, now, the Congress thing, did vote for it, right? Before well, that's they... the sad thing. I'm about to say the sad thing is most people, the people that we elect say, oh, yeah, we have to defend our interests. What interests are we defending? I mean, except our oil interests. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, if you, I mean, I can go on and on. I try not to get too upset over it. I get very frustrated, though, because I think it's, it's some, I'm a very much a free market guy. You know, I believe that it's, it's market can alleviate a lot of the problems we have today. I have a new book coming out at the end of the year. It's called Libertarian Tree Hugger, and it, it's subtitled, you know, uh, market solutions to environmental and social problems that we face today. Mm-hmm. And a Just lot like what of we've been talking about, actually, in the alternative it, energy it, space. Yes. Exactly. A lot of this stuff can be, can be accomplished and solved by embracing the free market. That's something we do not do now. And I see this, you know, we get so upset. This thing with Ray Rice in Baltimore, what happened to his, his wife? And he beat his wife. And, you know, got, I mean, it was a horrible thing. I saw the video and people were so upset about it. How many people are we killing when we send over, you know, our troops over to the Middle East to fight for, for nothing? Yeah. There's something that's not our interest. How many people are dying on the borders because of this ridiculous drug war? You know, and, and then just briefly, uh, Obamacare is being implemented. Is that affecting freedom in a major way, you think? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that if I, I have no problem with if the states, states wanted to run something like that, but you can't do a one-size-fits-all on a federal level. I mean, it, it, what, what goes on in, in New York City does not go on in, you know, Biloxi, Mississippi or, or you know, Sacramento, California. It's not you can't do a one size fits all. We've learned this time and time again. And to try to do that with healthcare is just an absolute. I mean, you're just yeah, listen. I mean, I, there's nothing I can say that hasn't been said already. I mean, the, the bottom line is it's 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 it's. it's, it's I, I I don't think Obama had this you know this this decision to like cripple the U.S. economy and, and mess with people's healthcare. But that's exactly what's happening. I, and I, I really fear that. Uh, healthcare is going to become worse, um, and I, you know, kind of to play on that thing too. With the one size fits all, I'm a you know big proponent of of, 
of getting the uh, Department of Education out of the whole education system. I mean, you have state states should be monitoring their own education, uh, not the federal government. I live in, I live in Baltimore. What goes on in the, in the, in the schools of Baltimore is horrendous, and yeah. it's not what goes on in the schools of Montgomery County. Apparently, yeah. now that the federal government's going to come in and fix it. Come on, okay. <laughs> you know, it's going to make it worse. All right, unfortunately, we have to end. My uh, guest this half hour has been Jeff Siegel. Uh, he's the managing editor at Wealth Daily, uh, Energy and Capital, and Liberty Briefing. You can find out more about it at his uh, uh, website, which is energyandcapital.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Jeff. Thank you. And we'll be back with another guest uh, after this break. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is David Gerwitz. Uh, He's the Managing Director at Charles Nenner Research. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you, Jordan. It's a pleasure to speak to you as always. Let's just do a little bit of background about uh, Charles Nenner Research and, and your role in it for people who might not have heard about it before. Fantastic. We'll do the um, LeBron James one minute to the hoop answer. Charles is at Goldman Sachs for 15 years. While in medical school, he came up with a way to predict markets based on repeating patterns. It's all explained on the site, charlesnenner.com. I spoke at Bloomberg five years ago explaining it, so anyone listening, we, we invite them to go and try a free month of the research, plus watch my Bloomberg presentation where I explain the thing, because it's a little complicated. And basically, it predicts things based on cycles from the Greek word circle, based on a target algorithm, which is levels, and uses a lot of other things as well. 
And Charles was at Goldman 15 years, so he originally started with hedge funds and family offices and sovereign wealth funds and institutions, which we still have, and we've expanded to individuals. So tell us where we are in the cycles now, according to the research you're finding. Let's let's start with the stock market. So we're going to talk stocks, we're going to talk bonds, we're going to talk commodities, Mm -hmm. currencies, and economic indicators. Yes. So let's start with the stock market. Where where do we stand in the cycle? We called a top around the level of 2000 plus 202 level uh, several months ago. That's where we are now. Let me read what we wrote today in the research to answer your question. The markets are flirting with highs, as shown in yesterday's point and figure chart. We send out charts on Sunday. When people become clients, they get a lot of charts, which I'm going to go through very quickly so you'll be caught up. Everything's not supportive. There's a new cycle high this week. Risk is rising. The S&P definitely has a problem reaching 2,000. Obviously, look what happened today. A close below S&P 2,000 futures level. NASDAQ 4070 futures and Dow 17,240 cash is a sell signal. It doesn't mean go short. Just don't be long. We realize these levels are close nearby, which they were. It's time to be safe. We think we're going to have a downturn. It'll probably come back up. Next year is going to be kind of a major swoon down and back, which will drive people crazy. And then the few years after, it's going to get really ugly. And, and do you know why that is? I mean, is it just yeah, it's a great question. Well, <laughs> cycles are topping and levels are topping. The reasons we never know. Like when he took everyone on the market middle of 2008, which is all on the site, we had no idea why things look good. Then we had the horrible fall, right, mm-hmm. uh, which, which you all remember. And then we went long, beginning of 2009. Why? Because cycles were bottoming. We don't know. We're not that smart to know why. We just know when there's enough of a historical pattern that repeats, the assumption is it's going to do it again. Let me give you an example, as, Jordan, as we go through this. War cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Wars also follow patterns. As we all know, there's a lot of wars going on, little and big. Charles, four years ago, predicted them, and he even noticed, everyone could find this, this is not his thing, Uh, every hundred years for the last thousand years minimum, in the second decade, in the middle of the decade, there's been a major war. A hundred years ago was World War I, 200 years ago, the War of 1812, and so that also repeats, and it seems that's beyond our free will to stop it, which is not necessarily such good news these days. So you think we're going to have a major war, like a World yeah, War yeah. III, is what you think? Well, I don't know how to define it, but it's not going to be like, you know, what happened in Iraq. Is Those numbers don't even fit on his charts. Mm-hmm. Too mm-hmm. small. So, But wars are not good for, for stock prices, you're saying? We, yeah, that's correct. If you think mm-hmm. back also, there's always been crashes around that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's the picture with stocks the next several years I just gave you in 30 seconds. So what, what are the inputs that go into making that kind of a market Great cause? Valuations is the main thing? No, or what are the inputs that go in? One thing, price. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. We just figure the price represents the voting pattern in that particular area, whether it's stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, or unemployment and stuff, which we'll talk about also. And we think embedded in that bit of information is all the other stuff everybody looks at, as crazy as it sounds. So the market is efficient, and the price is is, uh, coming out is based on all the people's opinions at that time. That's kind of the way of getting a sense of something. Well, we think the opinions today reflect the repeating patterns of the opinions. But let me explain how a cycle works. Well, let's talk bond rates. 
for example, which you're going to get to at some point. Okay, let's go to bonds. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll go back to stocks. That's okay. Um, 30 years ago, rates were high. Remember the early 80s? Yeah. They were 70. 60 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. 1954, right? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Rates were 2%. So there's been a 60-year bond, bond cycle in rates. Back then, the U.S. government was... Was 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 uh, selling savings bonds two and a half percent, which mm-hmm. is look at today two and a half percent. So that's a sixty year cycle in bonds. We think it's going to repeat. So the next thirty years, rates are up and bond prices will be down. So this is not a good time to be buying long term bonds. In your we don't think so. With anything, it's opposite. We'd we'd be thinking about shorting um, bonds. Let me tell you what we wrote today about bonds. Mm-hmm. This is what people would be getting three times a week. Bonds continue on a sell signal, but short-term are up. Again, very short-term. We feel bonds will be in the trading range till year-end. We usually cover the 30, the 10, and the 5, and sometimes TLT, which is, from your listeners know, is the bond ETF. So close above 137.10 for the 30, 124.19 for the 10, 118.08 for the 5. We'll cancel the sell signal, but only short-term. And then Charles added, the bounce looks like an Elliott Wave 4 up. So in addition to cycles and target, we also look at Elliott Wave. We look at MACD, oscillator, point-and-figure candlesticks, all stuff if people are interested in, they could look up and see. So he's looking at a lot of different cuts at the at the picture, like a doctor does. He's a medical doctor in order to come up with his opinion. But you're not looking at the fundamentals. I mean, what would people no. would say we never with all of the no. uh, geopolitical tensions between Russia and Ukraine and Israel and Gaza and yeah. ISIS and all that, that that's making the U.S. look like a safe haven? So people are pouring their money in here. No, we look at, look at treasury crude. You know, Right has been down the last two months, a month and a half, because cycles are down. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, we're going to go long crude soon, because we think the geopolitical if we, will start to kick in its effect soon, but it hasn't yet. And during, I was interviewed on some other station two months ago with all, when all this stuff really started happening. Shouldn't oil prices be going up because of that? I go, I'm not that smart, but cycles are topping. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. It went down. Having said that, we do think there's going to be a, a bounce in crude prices um, starting not so long from now, over 100, into the 100, 708 range. And then we take it one step at a time. But that's the answer to your question is we're not that smart to factor in current events. We can predict what is going to happen in an area, and then the current effects, people will attribute what happened to that. But we think it was the cycle. Yeah, it's it's not it's about the reality, not the reason, in a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. You, you get it. <laughs> you get it. That's for sure. We we think cycles show you the interpretation of events, and people tend to think they can A implies B. We think B has to happen, and therefore A is going to show up. Which actually, believe it or not, Jordan is the basis of something known as quantum physics. Yeah, and we think use that. quantum so physics. As, in as this. far as playing these things, uh, the trends. Let's just take them one at a time on the stock market where you think things are getting toppy. Yes. Uh, what would be a way to play the, the downfall you see coming? Well, that's a great question. Also, it, is a, it depends. Are your listeners all types of people? All types from, of investors, yes. So we have sophisticated who know yes. how to short futures. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, not everybody does. I always tell people to go open an account in a place like Thinkorswim, which for free allows you to train yourself in futures trading. So that's one way to practice because that 
then you don't have the time issue. Options, you, you could be right in the direction off a week and you lose. Yeah. So that's harder. Um, you could buy ETFs. There are all these hypercharged ET- ETFs that you could So double. you would do an inverse ETF on the stock yeah, market? Yeah, yeah, those inverse. So, you know, but again, everybody has to know how good they are or not in trading. A lot of people, it's best to say don't, don't be involved and just wait until there's a major bottom or top, and they're going to miss the short term, but at least they don't have that aggravation of being down on a trade, which we think is emotionally worse than being out. Yeah. You have two options, three options. I'm going to buy something. I made a good trade. Actually, the part of the brain, Charles says, is actually the same part that people, when they have a, a drug high, it's the same part of the brain. You made a great trade. Second trade is I, le- I didn't do it. Okay, it went up 10%. You missed it. Okay, you still got your 100 grand. Third trade is I did it and I'm down. You feel terrible. You feel horrible. <laughs> we, would, we like people to avoid that position. That's what the cycles really help us with. Second, we don't mind missing a trade if we miss a little knowing cycles are one way and the trade's going the other way. Okay, leave. And we prefer the third. But to avoid a, a negative trade emotionally, and I hope your listeners are listening, given the rocky next several years we're going to have, mm-hmm. it's something to think about before they put on a position, according to us. And then on the bond side, would you do the inverse bond yes. uh, ETFs? How would you play yeah, that? I, well, TBT, TBT is the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I'd be doing it so. I think you could also short TLT. Mm-hmm. There's two different things. You don't have enough time in the show to talk about the differences between yeah. shorting TLT and longing TBT. But those are two options. People should look into both. But clearly, that's going to be the trade. And if you think about it, for 30 years, how often have they had a chance to short bonds in the last 30 years? Almost never. It, it, it hasn't been a good trade for us. So that's years, why sure. it's going to be hard for people. But just imagine all the money in the world that's long bonds. Yeah. Right? Think of all the institutions, and all of a sudden it's going to go the other way. Well, the Federal Reserve is pretty long bonds, too. Right. Yeah. So, and arguably, their being long bonds has kept the stock market up the last six years. So, so now that we have about a month to go before quantitative easing will end, what will be the impact of that on the bond market, you think? Well, we don't think it's the quantitative easing ending that's the bond market effect. It's the cycle saying bonds are topping, and then the Fed will be acting in accordance with that, even though they subconsciously don't know it. We still think, as I said before, bonds will be the trading range until the end of the year and starting next year. They're really they're going to start to go down as with stocks. Uh-huh. And then on the oil side, how would you play uh, the rebound in oil prices you see Good coming? Good question. USO is one way. Again, this oil contracts are hard because they keep rolling over. You have different futures months and stuff. So USO does not really track so well. So there's a bunch of ETFs. We're not fans, frankly. We, we don't tell people how to do stuff. We just say what's going to happen, and they have to do it on their own. You're asking more of a trading yeah. question, which I prefer to leave to smarter people than me. <laughs> there's I'm nobody smarter than I'm not being modest. <laughs> well, we're going to take a break and come back for more. Now, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is David Gerwitz, uh, Managing Director at Charles Nenner Research with understanding all the cycles affecting all the different markets. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is David Gerwitz. He's the managing director at Charles Nenner Research, which is a specialist on cycles in the markets. You can find out more about him at the website, charlesnenner, N-E-N-N-E-R.com. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you, Jordan. This so, is some other things we want to take a look at. Uh, volatility, or what's known as the VIX. Uh, right. Volatility has been a very low level for a long time. Right. Uh, apparently, that's been uh, legislated that there's no more volatility ever allowed, but is, is right. that going to hold? Right, well... According to us, it's actually, well, first of all, let's talk about, we cover the VIX, you know, in the update we send every day. It's S&P, gold and silver, um, the Canadian VIX, crude oil, Mac gas, talk also bonds, bonds, which are German bonds, the dollar in the form of euro, Aussie, Canadian dollar and yen. We do the euro, yen, and grains. So anyway, the VIX is actually indicating not such crazy volatility. As long as there's no close above 1280, once it does, there's going to be more volatility. Clearly, as you correctly say, there hasn't been much volatility, but it's something people should definitely have in their portfolio because sometimes if they want to stay long stocks, they could just trade a VIX or ETF related to it and not have to do things in their stocks. So we think longer term, VIX is going to go up, obviously. Meaning it's a hedge. If you you go long the VIX... Yeah. It's a hedge against the market falling. Yeah, and it's better to do the VIX trading on a shorter basis, shorter-term basis, because it's not like a three-month trade. It's hard to do that, but shorter-term, it seems to work better. But you can buy it as an ETF, right? Oh, they can buy, I think, 30 of them. I mean, I can't keep up with all this. Yeah, yeah. So I can't keep up so with So you think long-term that volatility will rise, and that's oh, going sure. to do well? Yeah, definitely. Huh? Okay. Yeah. 
And then in the currency area, right. uh, the dollar has been very strong for quite a while here. Correct. Uh, again, there's kind of a safety haven play. Right. Uh, do you think the dollar strength is going to continue? Um, well, let me tell you, we don't think the dollar will stay strong after next year. When people write to the site, request the coverage we did two weeks ago, we did a whole analysis of the dollar. And I had dollar index still looks good for this year, the DXY. As a matter of fact, that was September 14th, last week. Um, but then we wrote on the euro, the euro shows long-term low in January. Our dollar index shows a high early next year. We've been looking for a high by late 2014, kicking into next year. So we think the dollar will turn the other way, and the euro will be surprisingly stronger. Uh-huh. So, uh, again, are there ETFs to play uh, yes. on yeah, the euro FXE side? FXE is a euro ETF. FXA is an Australia ETF. You know, FXY is a yen ETF. You know, again, everyone listening has to do a little bit of their work just to see what types of ways to play in an ETF form. Again, there's so many ways to play nowadays. So you're saying, just to be clear, the dollar is going to keep going up for a while, but then it'll peak uh, in sometime early next year. Correct. That's what we see. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. And then other kinds of commodities. We talked about oil. Right. But how about um, gold gas. and uh, well, grains and other kinds gas. of commodities? Let me tell a quick story, Nat Gas, in a minute to tell you what happened several years ago. Nat Gas was 6 bucks. It had been 12 went to 6 Moved up a little, and Charles said, it's going to 2 And not too many people thought that was going to happen. Went to five, went to four. A lot of Canadian banks made loans to Western Canadian Nat Gas producers when Nat Gas was six. All of a sudden, Nat Gas is four, like a mortgage in a house that was lent to at 400000 is now worth two fifty. Mm-hmm. Not happy in the office because that's called underwater. There's underwater loans in, in other things, too. Mm-hmm. So they forced the Nat Gas producers to sell in order to pay back the loans that had been made at higher rates. So the newspapers reported that bank pressure causing that gas prices to go down, and we, of course, disagree. Cycle, cycles were down, targets were down, and whatever happened had to happen during that time to justify it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of an explanation of we saw the down, and then all the other stuff happened in accordance with it. We think the same thing's going to happen. We think once that gas hits its high, it's going to, go back down a year from now, and then there'll be other things reflecting it. Um, and uh, Even though there are these sanctions with Russia, whether Russian right. natural gas is probably not yeah, going to be you flowing. Go. You'd start to think the news is, because Mr. Putin is doing something, everything has to go up that way. That's not according to us for that gas. Crude, we do see going up. So there's a bifurcation between crude and that gas, and the people may not know that in the mining, they call it. They call it farming, actually, of mm-hmm. uh, of crude. In the farming of crude, there's other things that come out. Like There's, there's other um, gases besides nat gas and crude. And in seeking the middle ones, a lot of nat gas comes along with it. So that's part of the reason why we could argue there'll be a huge supply of nat gas besides fracking in the, in the higher gas, in the higher oil prices, in the higher other uh, uh, types of gas pr- uh, uh, prices like methane and things that will push people to do more farming or drilling there, but in fact, that'll lead to more supply of nat gas. So are there some ways, some ETFs that go short natural yeah, gas? ECA play the is a way to play nat gas. It's a, it's, it's a stock called Encana. 
Uh-huh. You're going short and counter, you're saying? Well, that's what we think we're planning to do once we get to the top. Everyone has to watch the research so they can see when. We're not there yet. Okay. And then on some overall economic... Yeah, uh, let me read you what we said yeah. um, September 14th. Four of them. Unemployment, quarterly cycles. Cycles also forecast unemployment very well. Based on quarterly cycles, we expect a low in unemployment by the beginning of next year, meaning unemployment will increase. Therefore, the job situation will get more negative starting next year. Quarterly farm, non-farm payrolls are topping, meaning they will be down, which is consistent with what I just said. Then we have consumer price index cycles, also based on quarterly CPI. Quarterly meaning data we take from quarterly um, information as opposed to data at the end of the day and mm-hmm. week, every month, every quarter. Based on quarterly CPA cycles, we have a big top coming lower for the next several years. And then the fourth one we did the other day was ISM, which is a manufacturing index. That shows higher until the third quarter of 2001-5, which is interesting. So the manufacturing economy is going to get better, Yeah, but the unemployment is going to get worse. Yes. And prices are, are going to be going down. Correct. Those don't all seem to kind of go together. <laughs> well, not really. I mean, just because manufacturing is up doesn't, it could be that there's more because of dollar, because of things there. I don't know. I'm not that smart to say why A implies B. Uh-huh. You know, we, we know that. We just look at the numbers to see what A is saying, and then we'll let everybody try and figure it out. Are there possibilities of a, like a black swan or something coming out of the blue that could disrupt the whole uh, cycles you're talking about? Mm, we don't think so. We think, if anything, the cycles predict the black swan. So what's, what black swans have been predicted in the past by cycles? Well, I'll tell you, uh, we called the top in crude uh, at 147. Everyone should go to the site. They'll see Charles calling it on CNBC, and he actually mentioned the D word, deflation. Mm-hmm. Six months later, crude was 49. Mm-hmm. What happened, I don't remember, but it went down 100 points. So mm-hmm. was Gold three years ago was 1,900, and he, after 10 years of being up, he said, let's get out. And no one really wanted to, because after 10 years, how much is it going to come down? Well, we saw it, almost 50% retracement. Mm-hmm. Gold, by the way, we're getting near a bottom, and that should be a bounce. We see 1180 as a possible downside, and then up to 14-something, and we'll take another look then. Longer term, we think, is up, as with silver. So I'm answering your question. That those were the, the swans where something caused it to come down, but we don't know what it's going to be. We, is it war? Is it, a, is it an event? I mean, we don't know. We just know if cycles are topping, something's going to come along to make it a top. For an investor to follow your cycles that you're talking about here, right. how closely do they have to follow these things? It sounds like you're catch, catching major trends. You don't have to be a day trader or watch it every day. Correct. Most of our clients are not. Most are, they just look at us because we're giving mostly shorter to medium-term stuff, and we smuggle in the long stuff. You know, Charles is a place called Goldman Sachs for 15 years. I mean, Goldman Sachs, he worked there for 15 years, so he wrote this. This, this email we sent out was a Goldman Sachs product, and he was, you know, working with someone named Abby Cohn, who was a not a technical person, and she wanted the research that other people did not to talk so technical. So he would smuggle in long-term. We do mention the long-term every once in a while. Uh-huh. But these are kind of tactical shifts one way or the other. Right. But people can get from watching this over two, three months. They get our position. Yeah, for instance, just, you know, Disney's got weakness into October. 
um, Cisco's toppy, AT&T of close below 35 to sell signal. Amazon, we called the top, still could have more weakness. 3M's toppy, but only close below 144 would be a sell signal. So we combine cycles and target level. Very, Very good. important. Caterpillar looks toppy. Coffee bounced, but we still think it's going to go down because cycles are down. So you're getting cycles for really almost everything. That people uh, as long yeah. as we have enough data. We can't do Facebook because we don't, it's not public long enough. I see. You have to. So we, we're going on a long, long cycle. The math. Right. Very good. All right. Well, this has been fascinating. Uh, my guest this half hour has been David Gerwitz. He's the managing director at Charles Nenner Research. Uh, you can find out more about this at the website, charlesnenner.com. I think you can get a free uh, subscription for a month to kind of get a sense of it. Is that correct? Absolutely. And so you kind of get a sense of these different cycle work, and you can see that they're predicting cycles in lots of different areas, and he's, they've had a very, very good track record. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, David. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.